Welcome. You are listening to Intentional Conversations from Nika White Consulting, an encore presentation of our weekly podcast where we intersect diversity, equity, and inclusion with leadership and business. Let the conversation begin. I am very excited to welcome today's co-host, Jackie Abram is with us. As is our custom, I will read Jackie's bio and then ask for a personal greeting from our co-host. So you know what we do, I see Vodcast community. Get your emojis ready, get your virtual applause ready. Let's make sure that we are welcoming our guest co-host. Jackie is the international best-selling and award-winning author of a book that stops racists in their tracks called Hush Money, How One Woman Proved Systemic Racism in Her Workplace and Kept Her Job. It is a book that she and her daughters, Deborah Harris and Delilah Harris, published after her lucrative career in higher education was killed by racists, and she she suffered racial trauma that was so severe that she contemplated homicide and suicide. Hush Money is an international best-selling and award-winning book featured in Forbes number one bestseller on Amazon, number one in best eye-opening African-American women's fiction on Goodreads Listopia, number one in books to improve social justice awareness on racism on Goodreads Listopia, a recipient of the reader's favorite gold medal for social issues, novels, snaps for all of this, number three in top African-American Christian fiction on Find This Best Hush Money is not just another book about systemic racism. For employees, it serves as a roadmap for fighting back against covert racism in the workplace and surviving the battle. And for employers, it can serve as a compass for identifying covert racism because you can't fight what you can't see. I love that. Welcome, Jackie. It is so good to have you here. I am so excited to be here with you that you have joined us. And I would love for you to greet our audience in your own way. Well, thank you so much for having me. I am just beyond delighted to be here. You know, I cannot thank you enough for that amazing introduction. And, uh, you know, I'm just excited to have a a thrilling and exciting conversation. Uh, I see so many familiar faces in the audience today. You know, love the support that I get from the LinkedIn community. And uh, let's do this. I love that. Yes, let's do this. I am very interested in, um, you know, something that maybe I can't learn from your LinkedIn profile or your social media presence or your website even. Is there something that you would like to share (laughs) with us to help us get to know you just a bit better? Absolutely. Well, uh, most people would never guess in a million years that I'm actually six feet tall. And years and years ago, so we're talking decades ago, and probably at least 100 pounds ago, uh, I was a runway model. And uh, so that's something a lot of people don't know. Wow, thank you for sharing that. It is impossible in this virtual environment to tell, you know, how tall someone is. I I know that, um, you know, when you work with someone virtually and you see them on a virtual platform over and over and over again, and then you Mm -hmm. finally get to actually be in person with them and meet them, there are so many things you're like, oh, wow, I didn't realize you were that tall or, or, oh, I didn't, you know, realize this about you or this. So thank you for sharing that with us. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Well, I am very interested in something in particular because this is a little controversial. You know, yes. I want to get right into this. I know that you have often said, Jackie, that DEI continues to fail Black people. And that is a big yes. word to use, fail. Um, and so can you shed some light on why you have said this and your perspective here? Absolutely. So let me just say this about DEI as a whole. DEI as a whole can be very effective. There are uh, a lot of important components that make up DEI. Sadly, in a lot of organizations, not all, but in a lot of organizations, DEI continues to fail Black people because of two primary reasons. Um, number one, the people who are leading the discussion that is designed to promote an environment where Black people feel that they're included, they feel that they belong in, in organizations that are wondering why Black people continue to leave their organizations. It's because of the component that focuses on systemic racism. Yes, we do experience microaggressions. That's important, okay? Microaggressions are annoying and sometimes they're painful, okay? And so that's an important component to have. Mm -hmm. In some DEI, they focus on implicit bias and unconscious bias. And again, these are important components. But what is missing Okay, and the reason Black people continue to leave organizations is the covert racism piece. Because the other things that I just mentioned, although they are important, they are not career killers. Mm -hmm. What is killing our careers is something called covert racism. And sadly, in many organizations, in their DEI solutions, you never hear about covert racism, and therefore you don't do a deep dive to yeah. explore what is really killing the careers of Black folks. Mm -hmm. So that's one reason that it continues to fail Black people. So the other reason is that the people who are leading these discussions about what we experience as Black people, what is actually killing our careers, are not Black. Yeah. So how can you lead a discussion? Mm -hmm. How can you relate? Put together, yes, put together solutions to promote the change that we need to keep our jobs when you yourself have no idea what we experience. Your knowledge is based on a textbook or it's based on secondhand knowledge that you're getting from a Black person. Not experiential. Right. So, you know, companies can address these two issues and then you're going to see that you are now retaining more of your Black employee population. You know, you need to have a Black person leading the Black experience, okay? Mm -hmm. And you also have to have that uncomfortable conversation. Um, many organizations don't want to tackle covert racism because it is a very uncomfortable thing to do a deep dive mm -hmm. and really dissect why Black people continue to be failed. And so if companies were to address those two issues, mm -hmm. they would find that their DEI solutions are powerful. 
Does that make sense? It does. It does. And, and, you know, you just, um, you know, I really never thought about, uh, you know, the lack of a deep dive when it comes to covert racism. We -hmm. talk so often about overt racism and we really try to approach and, and eradicate that. But for our audience, you know, can we talk about the difference between covert and overt racism and how it influences institutional racism? So, so let me just say this, um, when you're talking about the differences between overt and covert racism, you know, back in the day, and I'm talking, you know, decades ago, you would see a lot more of the overt racism that we see in modern day. And so overt racism would be something like, you know, you're in the break room and someone walks in and calls you the N-word in public, okay? Well, that still happens, but it's very rare. And if that happens so overtly and blatantly in this break room, in the presence of other people, chances are that there's going to be someone in that break room that says, this is not acceptable. This is unacceptable. Does that make sense so far? Yeah. Okay. So over the years, racism has morphed into something that is not so easy to see, because if it's easy to see, it's easy to prove, right? Right. So They have now taken that surface level discrimination where things were just done in the open and they've moved it under the surface. And so now 10% approximately of what you see happening in the workplace racism wise is overt, just 10%. So what is the other 90%? Well, that's the effectiveness of covert racism, which is a career killer. It's hidden, it's harder to prove. The people that are experiencing it can't tell that they're experiencing racism. And so if they can't tell if what they're experiencing is racism, the people around them that are seeing and observing this can't tell either. And it's because of that hidden aspect that it is socially acceptable. No one's calling it out because they can't tell what it is. Does that make sense? And so that's the difference. And that's why it continues to fail Black people specifically, because again, if you as an organization can't see it and they can't prove it, how do you fight it? That's right. That's right. And it, you know, threads um, with microaggressions. You mentioned that earlier, you know, yes. you know, another thing is very hard to, to prove and, and substantiate. And, and often when people are uh, victims of covert racism, victims of microaggressions, you know, it's, it's very easy to, uh, for others to be dismissive of right. that person's experience. Right. Um, and, and as you said, you know, these are career killers. But I think also these are people killers. Right. You know, there are and so many stats out there about how racism is literally killing us. What were you about to say? Oh, absolutely. Let me just give you an example. You know, I've got a million examples. There are so many different types of covert racism. There's so many. Um, but I will use one called, uh, I, I call it the Black Workhorse, Okay. And anybody who's watched any of my interviews, they've probably heard this before. 
but there are dozens of different types. And that's something that we explore when I do uh, DEI workshops. We do a deep dive into these various types. But the Black workhorse is something that I can explain in a few minutes where you are a new employee or you are an employee who has been recently promoted. In both of these cases, you now have a new job description. And in that job description, there is a bulleted list that says you as the employee are responsible for completing all of these duties. But there's always another bullet at the end of every single job description. And it's the, I'm gonna do all of these duties and all other duties as assigned. So now you're in your new job, okay? But as the weeks and the months go by, you're starting to notice something. In addition to the duties you're responsible for, you've now got these extra duties that have been added onto your plate. Your supervisor who was responsible for these massive projects has now dumped those projects onto your plate. Okay, and then you've got this person over here that's now added these responsibilities onto your plate. And so now you notice that your workload is so unbelievably heavy that your back is about to break or you fall to your knees, Cosette, because you're not doing the work of one person anymore. You are doing the work of two, three, sometimes four people, and they've made you salary on purpose. So you're not being paid to do all this extra work, even though there are people at your same level who are intentionally hourly. So they get to do their 40 hours and they're out, but you've been made salary on purpose, okay? And so you are now responsible for completing all of this work and the company is paying you a good salary, but they are getting their money's worth out of you because to them, because you're black, you were designed for hard labor, Cosette. You as a black person can work the longer hours, work the harder hours, work the stronger hours because you're not human, you're dehumanized you to this racist leader are a black workhorse. And so if you don't keep up with this workload that they've piled on you, your job is at risk. And I spoke with someone uh, a couple of days ago. Uh, I talked to a lot of people, so the name, uh, I forget the name, but they said when they were carrying this large workload burden because they were the black workhorse in the organization, and it got to be too much and they quit. The company then had to hire four people to replace this one person who was doing all of this extra work. Right. And that's how right. covert racism works yeah. because, you know, the company will justify it and says, you know, we said when we hired you that you were responsible for all other duties as assigned. So you knew what you right. were getting into at the time that you were hired. Uh-huh. And that's how covert racism works. Wow. That Jackie, that example that you just walked us through, so powerful, so applicable, so um, I can relate. 
I can relate to that. And I, and, you know, I I think in the chat, I'm I'm seeing that others in our vodcast community can relate as well. Well, and Cosette, it's the exact reason you see so many, just so many black people working through their lunches, staying late when everybody else has left for the day, working on holidays, working on weekends. And in my case, I was actually so overwhelmed with the workload I had. I was using my vacation days, my PTO, to try to stay on top of this workload because again, you're paying me a great salary. I can't afford to give up that salary. So I'm going to do whatever it takes to keep that salary because I'm a single mom. I'm mom and dad, and I've got two girls I have to take care of. Yeah. Is this experience, is this why you wrote your book, Hush Money? Why did you decide to share your experiences with covert racism in in your book? Why was it so important for you to, you know, for, for you to get it out? So, so let me just step back a minute and explain um, something. Um, I had a lucrative career in higher education before I became an author. And if my career had gone the way that it was supposed to, because I was exceptional at my job and my career spanned nearly 20 years, And it paid me six figures. And and Cosette, you don't get to make six figures unless you are good at your job. But not only was I good, I I actually enjoyed my job. And my background in higher education is on the administrative side. My background is in finance. You know, I'm, I'm a number cruncher. I can crunch numbers like the best of them. But I knew absolutely nothing about writing a book. But over time, my career kept being derailed. And it was derailed not with the overt stuff, but with the covert racism, like I said. And the covert racism in the workplace, it has a tendency to damage you psychologically because as you're experiencing it, again, you can't tell what you're experiencing as racism. And it's not like uh, the racism back in the day where you've got one person who calls you the N-word in public, like I said. Okay, in that case, you're dealing with just one person. But what makes covert racism so unbelievably effective in killing the careers of Black people is that, yes, there's going to be one person in that organization who targets you. Okay, so in my case, like I said, I'm a black woman. I am exceptional at my job. On top of that, I'm six feet tall. And back in the day, I was a Janet Jackson lookalike. So I was easy to notice. It was not hard to notice me, especially because I was good at my job. So someone in that organization who was in a higher position as mine Mm -hmm. would notice me. But this person who's noticing me is also a racist. And so this racist decides to target me. And he or she begins the act of killing my career. But he is not alone. He recruits help. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
because of his position of power and influence and authority, mm-hmm. he has the ability to inspire other people in the organization to conspire with him, okay? And before you know it, you are not just dealing with this one racist leader. You yeah. are now dealing with people who are all working together to mm-hmm. aid and abet him as he kills your career in the workplace, uh, very similar to how racist police kill us in our communities. Mm -hmm. And Cosette, some of these folks that this leader is inspiring to conspire with him, you would never think in a million years would do this to you. Yeah. So one of those people that he's inspired is HR in Organizations that tolerate racism, Cosette, HR is your worst nightmare because this leader has inspired HR because at the end of the day, HR is beholden to who pays their paycheck and it's not you, okay? So now this person who has oversight on whether or not this HR person continues to get their paycheck now has recruited their help. Other Black people, okay? Other Black people in the organization. This racist leader has tapped somebody who's Black in that organization, and they've given them additional power and authority over you. Mm -hmm. So now you've got this Black person who should be your biggest supporter aiding and abetting this leader. But then you also have your own employees. While you're at lunch, Cosette, This racist leader has met with somebody on your team Mm -hmm. and has promised them your job. So now your employee is incentivized to complain about you, to check your comings and goings, to try to find errors, catch you up in various things. And then this racist leader has inspired other leaders in other departments that you have to work with. You need for them to do their job so you can do your job. And these people are now putting the brakes on what they're doing that they know you need so that you're missing your deadlines. You're making mistakes because of what they're doing. Right. You are are a social pariah. Mm -hmm. No one wants to interact with you anymore. And so you've got all of these different factors and it's not like they're happening in a line. Mm -hmm. Everything's happening all at once. So by the end of the day, you are so traumatized. Mm -hmm. You go home, you try to shake it off, but the next day you go back and the tax start again. So that's the psychological damage that you are experiencing day in and day out until they have effectively killed your career. Wow. And so when that happens, Cosette, Mm -hmm. your career is killed. You are either set up and fired because they're all working together Mm -hmm. or the stress and the trauma that you're experiencing is so great after you've tried to suffer in silence, you just can't take it anymore. So you leave. But in either case, you have now lost your income. 
okay, and your ability to provide for your family. Mm -hmm. And so in my case, after having my career uh, killed and derailed uh, by the fourth and fifth time, I'm feeling some kind of way, Cosette, okay, because not only have I lost my my, uh, income, I've lost my ability to pay my bills. I've lost my home. Me and my girls are now homeless and I'm trying to figure out how I can feed us. So by the fifth time, you are so traumatized. And that's where hush money came from because after I decided, and I say this with all honesty, Cosette, by the end of my career, I was plotting to kill my last boss. And I'm a smart woman. I could have done it if I really wanted to. Wow. I was that far gone. I was so psychologically damaged. Yeah. And when I couldn't figure out how to get away with killing my boss Mm -hmm. without it impacting my children, Mm -hmm. I decided to kill myself. Oh, Jackie. But God intervened, Cosette, because he told me that my pain was not my own that there were other people who were experiencing the same thing. Cause I honestly thought something was wrong with me. I thought, you know, there's obviously something wrong with me. Um, But when I found out that other people were going through the same thing, you know, that was the catalyst for me Hmm. saying, okay, it's not just me. Um, Other people are experiencing the same thing. And, And Cosette, let me just say this real quick. Even though my my career was repeatedly derailed, okay, and I lost everything, okay, there was something I knew that a lot of other people didn't know, okay, and that was actually how to fight back, whether it was while they were in the process of derailing my career before I left, or if it was after they wrongfully terminated me and then I they thought I was gone and I came back, okay? I knew how to fight back. And I knew that a lot of our people didn't know what I knew. Mm-hmm. And the settlements, let me just tell you, the settlements, the settlements are great, okay? Mm-hmm. Especially the ones that I have the knowledge to help people get. Mm-hmm. But under no circumstances do those settlements ever replace and are they ever enough to undo the harm that was caused to you in that organization, okay? Mm -hmm. So I pulled myself out of corporate America to save my sanity because I was far gone. Yeah. And then I took all the pain that I was feeling And I poured it with the support of my two girls. Mm -hmm. I poured that pain into Hush Money. Wow. And Hush Money created a roadmap Mm -hmm. to help our people walk away, whether it's because they quit or they were wrongfully terminated, whatever the situation is, Mm -hmm. to help our people walk away but not empty handed. Okay. It's okay to walk away, but don't walk away empty handed. Hmm. And that's what this book is right here. This is a roadmap mm-hmm. to show you how one woman fought back, 
survived that battle and didn't walk away empty handed. Mm, That is, Jackie, that is an incredibly powerful and moving, empowering story. Thank you so much for sharing that. As you were talking, I mean, I felt like I was, you know, along on the ride with you. And I felt this, this heaviness, especially as you were talking about, you know, the, the depths, you know, the depths that you went to, you know, considering homicide, suicide, homelessness, all of the trauma you talked about and, and really being able to harness that and, and, and put it into creating this, this book, were there, were there ever any times when you had to step away from the writing process due to the heavy content that you feature in the book? So that is an excellent question. And what I can tell you is that originally when I sat down and I started writing Hashmani, it was not my intention to break it into two books because there are two books in the Hush Money series, and together they lay out an explosive strategy um, that is full of unconventional things that people would never even think of or have considered in terms of fighting back. And I call it creating weapons. So you're creating this arsenal of weapons of unconventional things. But by the end of this book, right here, by the end of Hush Money Book One, I was so triggered and re-traumatized. I had to step away and I had to de-escalate. I had to decompress. And if you were to look at some of my earlier interviews, I was a hot mess. I was an absolute hot mess. (laughs) I could not make it through an interview without crying. And every now and again, now those emotions creep back up in me, but Something happened after we wrote the second book because I did come back and I finished the rest of the story. And the story is not even complete with book two because racism is not a one-time thing for us. You know, like I said, my career was derailed five times, okay? So there's more hush monies yet to come. But I had to break away to de-escalate because it was very triggering to relive the trauma that I went through in order to write hush money. So to answer your question, I did step away, but then I came back and I wrote book two, which is called Hush Money, The Cost of Being Black in Corporate America. And together they are explosive. Mm. Wow. That, you know, one of the things that, um, you know, as you were talking, I kept thinking, um, you know, where, where were your people? You know, you said something earlier, you said, and, and people you wouldn't even think would do this, you know, joined in and became co-conspirators with this person who's the ringleader, you know, during your time in higher education, did you feel like you had allies? Did you feel like there were people who uh, were equipped uh, to advocate for you? People stood up and showed up for you? Um, and, and if so, you know, who who were they? And were there any times where you thought, you know, maybe this person is uh, more of a performative 
ally than, than really an, an active, actionable ally. So, so let me just break that down a little bit, okay? So again, my career spanned nearly 20 years, okay? I can honestly tell you in that 20 year, nearly 20 year time frame, there was only one person who actually put herself in an uncomfortable position to stand up for me, okay? The rest of the people in all of those years and in the different companies that I worked, they were like the people on the sidewalk. So if you think about, um, if you think about how racist police kill us in our communities, okay? They have, you know, someone who's the senior officer and there's normally other officers there with them. And these officers are aiding and abetting whoever the senior person is that is targeting the, the black person in their community. Now, there are always onlookers. There are always people on the sidewalk who see what's going on, who know that it's wrong. And some of them are crying out in horror as this black person is being, I mean, just terrorized by these police officers. They see it. Some of them cry out and say, you know, that's wrong, stop, please. But not one single person gets off the sidewalk and goes and physically intervenes. Does that make sense? It does. And so that's what happens in the workplace. There are people around you, uh, Black people, you know, people from, you know, every walk of life, uh, people at every level of, of employment. They see what's going on with you but no one will get off of the sidewalk to intervene. And it's for a variety of reasons. Um, the black people that see what's happening to you, they're afraid that if they get involved, that racist who's targeting you is gonna notice them. Turn. And they don't wanna be noticed because right. they, they, they wanna keep their job. You know, there's a saying um, that, you know, my mom's generation had. They, their, their favorite saying was, ooh, don't make waves, don't lose your good job. And so that's the mentality. So they're afraid to make waves, okay? Then there are other people who see what's going on, but they're also afraid, you know, so let's go back to the HR example. HR knows that this leader has too much power, okay? Nobody's checking this leader. HR knows that there's something that they should do, but the reality of HR is they really don't have any power because let's say a person comes to HR and says, I'm experiencing racism in the workplace. HR is going to do some fact finding, but they're not in a position to make a decision about what to do with this employee. They have to take it up to the leadership and guess who's sitting on that leadership team? The racist who's targeting you, okay? And in some of the companies where I worked, you know, we had DEI committees. I served on DEI committees. Mm -hmm. But the very people who were leading these DEI solutions were the very racist targeting me. And that's why I go back to what I said in the beginning. You need to be careful about who you put over your DEI, okay? 
you want to make sure, you know, if you've got somebody that's talking about racism and the Black experience, that the person over that is Black. So they can tell you what's really going on. Does that make sense? It does. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It is, you know, as, as you were talking and as I am, you know, kind of concurrently thinking through, you know, my experience and some of the experiences that, uh, you know, I know from, you know, uh, friends and, and family members, you know, it is, it is a big tangled web, yes. you know, and sometimes it is, it is hard to know how to start trying to work through the cobwebs to be able to help yourself, to yes. be able to help others, to be able to, uh, you know, um, get rid of some of the trauma and work through that while also keeping in mind, you know, this is, this job is a means to an end. I need this income right. to provide to my family, to, to provide for my family. And especially, you know, as you were talking single motherhood, you know, I'm a single mother over here too. Mm -hmm. It is no joke. It is no joke. And you are constantly, constantly holding in mind that you are providing for other people. Um, and and not, might I just step in and add one more thing? Yeah. So Cosette, the other piece of this is not only will most people not stand up for you. Yeah. Instead of the company looking at you as a victim, they actually turn you into a villain. Okay, mm -hmm. so not only will people not stand up for you, they think that you're wrong for wanting to stand up for yourself and your rights. And right. so they have turned you into a villain and no one wants to be seen with you or caught talking to you. So you have basically become a, a social pariah. You are ostracized mm -hmm. and you are alone as you're fighting through the sludge that is being created by all of these people who are working together mm -hmm. to ultimately kill your career. Mm -hmm. And they're not just trying to hurt you, okay? They're trying to decimate you, to harm you to such a degree right. that you cannot recover yeah. because there's something you know, fundamentally wrong on the inside uh, of a person who is racist. Mm -hmm. And it's not just enough to get you out of there. They want to humiliate you, right? They right. want to, like I said, just put you in such a, a state that you are humiliated. Mm -hmm. You are degraded. I mean, yeah. just everything. Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I love that word decimated. Yes. that you use just decimated. And I'm a pretty visual person. And as you yes. said it, I just saw, you know, a building just collapsing and all the rubble and the smoke and all of the, the turmoil and the noise and everything It's decimation. And, um, wow, that is, um, that's, that's so true. That's so true. It's, it's not enough to, to wound you Right. Uh, the destruction yes. is what people want. They want to destroy you. And the uh, what what I found in, in in my life and in the lives of of those I'm close to and talk about these things with is mm -hmm. that um, you know the 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 best second act, the best mm -hmm. second act, is to say, "You tried to destroy me." Right. You tried, I and guess what? It didn't work. It didn't so, work. And that, that only grew me. 
that only yes. empowered me, that only helped me, that only assisted me, that impacted me in such a powerful way that now I'm stronger and better. And I've learned so much from that experience. And so Jackie, I, I, I feel that vibe from you. I see that in you. And it is, it is so, it is so lovely. And of course, I do not want to hog you. I see that we have a question <laughs> in the chat. I mean, I could talk with you all day and we'll uh, reach out to you on LinkedIn so that we can stay connected. But Please. I would like to open the floor for Doris, who has a hand raised. Doris, thank you so much. I am going to spotlight you so that you can ask Jackie your question. Doris. Hi, my friend. How are Hi. you? It is so good to see you. Oh, it's awesome to see you. <laughs> We've been chatting back and forth for at least a year, and this is my first time seeing her face. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, she has been such an inspiration for me. And I'm hoping that I have been for her along this journey. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not really sure if I have a question as much as an affirmation that when you talk about what you went through and to some extent going through even now because of the backlash and all of the feelings that are involved in all of this, mm -hmm. I believe, and this is because I truly believe in what God does for us, as much trauma and um, I would say, I'm not even sure how to put the words correctly, but as much as you went through, yes, think about Job and what he went through. Mm -hmm. You were picked, I believe, by God because of one thing, your strength. Yes. Absolutely. You were he put you in a situation, I believe, or should I say allowed it to happen mm -hmm. so that you could come out ahead and show them with your own outcome how when you try to destroy me, actually you strengthen me. And now Doris, you uh, are the one that's paying the painful outcome of what yes. you started. Doris, let me just talk to that for a minute because <laughs> you know I'm smiling and I'm just about ready to laugh because let me just tell you. <laughs> I went through a lot of pain, okay? I went through a lot of trauma, but there is something just so satisfying. I mean, just so satisfying when those same people who tried to destroy you, okay? When you actually use these strategies mm -hmm. and not only do you take the organization down and get those nice big settlements, but the people who targeted you, in most cases, they end up losing their jobs because you, as part of the process that I outline in my book, you know, people say the squeaky wheel gets the grease. But in my strategy, we don't just have one wheel squeaking. We have all four wheels on our career bus squeaking louder than worn out car brakes. So by the time you're done, everybody knows what these people did to you. And trust me, after they get you out of the way with that big settlement, they go back and deal with those people who put them in that position. Because mm -hmm. everybody has a boss, even those that think they don't. Yes. They everybody do. is accountable to somebody. And so that's right. that is such a yes, satisfying feeling. 
Yes. That accountability is so important. That allyship Absolutely. is so important. Yes. The affirmation, Doris, thank you yes. so much is so important. Yes. We have another question in the chat and I'll go ahead and ask it on behalf of this person. You know, when we think about, you know, our stories and the ways that our stories can really be used as a launching off point toward uh, toward a better life and a better work life, you know, how... Uh, because that story is so important, you know, how do we move to, uh, you know, sharing our story and then creating solutions and strategies to overcome this racism? What what are some solutions that that you pose in your book? So let me just make sure I'm understanding the, understanding the question. Is this person asking me the question as a Black person mm-hmm. or as an employer? As a, as a Black person, I think. Okay, so they're asking what are some of the strategies to overcome, is that correct? Yeah, like how do we move to spending more time on, you know, the solutions and strategies to overcome racism, yes. Okay, so that's, that's easy, starting today. Uh-huh. You need to get this book. Uh-huh. Okay, because the strategies that you need to start empowering yourself are laid out right in my book. You know, number one, okay, you first of all need to, wherever you're at in your job right now, you could be at the beginning of your job, you could be seasoned in your job, but as of today, right now, there are documents you need to collect, okay, because right now you need to start creating your arsenal. So, Go back to your office or your desk or whatever, get on that computer and immediately get your job description, take it down, okay? You're going to get any emails that show you um, having been performing your job, any kudos or accolades that you've got, get those documents down. You want to make sure you've got a copy of your last pay stub, get those documents down. And most importantly, you need to get that company's anti-discrimination policy. Take Mm. all of that stuff down because Mm -hmm. when this company starts targeting you, things are going to start disappearing. Accesses are going to be limited. And if you want to fight back, these are things you're going to need. And I'll tell you something funny. The reason I say to get that anti-discrimination policy and take it down with you now is because when you start fighting them back, they're gonna start changing the policy, changing the verbiage. So you wanna be able to get the policy that was in place at the time all of this stuff started with you. Mm -hmm. You're gonna get those documents. You're going to create a free online uh, account with an online storage facility like, uh, my favorite is Dropbox, but there's Mm -hmm. Google Drive, there's OneDrive. And then start saving these things there. Mm -hmm. You want to adopt the motto, the E in email stands for evidence. Mm -hmm. This is a mistake that a lot of our folks make. You know, when you are on these jobs, when things are going well, people are complimenting you. They're telling you what a great job you're doing, but it's all verbal. And so when the racist leader starts targeting you, one of the first things they do is start painting you as a bad employee, Mm -hmm. uh, saying that you're incompetent, changing your work, doing these various things. Mm -hmm. So whenever you get that verbal compliment, you want to turn that verbal into something tangible. So 
Anytime you get a verbal compliment, you need to go back to your desk, open an email, put in the subject, thank you, and then say, dear Cosette, you know, thank you for the compliment you gave me in the hallway today about the presentation I gave this morning. I I'm so glad you thought my work was exceptional. I appreciate you. Mm. Why is that important? Because when they start painting you, yes, as a bad employee, mm -hmm. if all you have are verbal compliments, it's their right. word against yours. Right. But if you've got an email thanking them for the mm -hmm. compliment, mm -hmm. whether or not they respond to it or not, this is tangible evidence because right. by putting it in an email form, if they want to dispute it, the onus is on them, um, not on great. you. That's okay. right. So yeah. email is a powerful weapon. Yes. My book teaches you about one, uh, one party consent states. Mm. Those are fantastic for fighting back. That's a weapon that you want to have in your arsenal. Most yeah. people don't know that if you live in a one party consent state, mm -hmm. you can secretly, quietly, and hiddenly record your boss having these meetings with you on your smartphone yeah. and not tell them as long as you are a party to the meeting. Yep. The rule yep. is different with phone calls though. Mm -hmm. With phone calls, you have to make sure the person you're talking to is also in a one party consent state, but federal mm -hmm. law allows that. You know, these are tools that you're going to be putting in your arsenal. This recordings are going to be effective if the meeting is pre-planned, but in my case, my boss would just show up randomly and start harassing me. Mm -hmm. So in that case, you need a backup plan. Mm -hmm. I used a daily log to document date, time, what was said and who was there. Okay. And then my kid said, mom, you know what? I know you're saying we need to document this, but who has time to do a daily log? I said, then send yourself a personal email. You know, right after that person comes in there giving you a bunch of yah yah, you open an email, document what happened, and just send yourself a personal email from your yeah. personal email. It's date and time stamp. And when we're ready to fight, it's all laid out in your personal email. You yeah. know, there's just so many different things. So email things. is a powerful weapon. FMLA, medical leave, is a powerful weapon, but so many of our people use it incorrectly. Mm. You know, they go on medical leave, Cosette, because the trauma is so intense and overwhelming that, you know, mentally, physically, and emotionally, they're suffering. They step away, they go on medical leave, hoping that things will calm down when they return. And I tell them, the only thing you did was give this racist the time he needed to finish setting you up quietly. Because while yeah. you're on medical leave, they're going through your computer, they're going through your office, they're going through everything. So by the time you come back, your job is gone in a matter of months. So FMLA can be a curse, but it can also be a blessing if you use it right. Mm -hmm. My book shows you how to create a wall that is so strong and so high when you're using FMLA that when you return to the company, that racist organization is afraid to touch you. Mm -hmm. They will not fire you. Yeah, yeah. They I but you got to but you got to know how to use it. Yeah. That's Would what you, you learn yeah. from hush money. Yeah. And the most important thing that you learn from hush money is you don't stay at this level. All these people that are conspiring uh with this racist leader, 
they're all working at this level, you know, and they think, they think, oh, we got her because we're all working together. And no matter what she does, we're going to say, you know, we did our investigation. It was a good faith investigation. And, you know, we were justified in what we did, no matter what it is. Mm -hmm. So you don't operate at this level. You jump way over everybody's head. Okay. And you go to the parent company. You mm. go to the CEO, right. you write an ironclad discrimination complaint, and there's a right way to write it and a wrong way to write it. Mm. My book shows you the right way. Mm -hmm. My book shows you how to collect the evidence. And when you've got all of that, you send that bulk of evidence to the CEO at the parent company. Mm -hmm. You copy the board of directors. Yeah. And then you copy all the racists that are targeting you because you want them to see mm -hmm. what you've done. You want yeah. them to feel that fear. Yeah, that they I, love, I love you. this. I love this. I love that you are offering uh, solutions that will help the individual, but yes. also solutions um, on a systemic level yes. as well to combat racism. Um, Jackie, and then just one more thing, just one more thing. Yeah. I don't have anything against the EEOC, but I never use the EEOC. You want to go the state route. Most people don't know that the state has a civil rights division, a mm. civil rights office. Okay. So you want to go the state out. route. Okay? Yes. yes. So all of these things you're going to learn from this book. Yeah. You know, yeah. We have, we have one minute and I want to, I'm very interested to know what's next for you. You know, what, what is, what is coming up? How can we, how can we find you? What are you working on that's coming up? Let's, let's leave on, on this note an empowering note so that we can follow you and, and cheer you on and ally with you. Thank you. So um, I'm really excited to announce. So everyone is familiar with the uh, racist mass shooting at Tops Friendly Market in Buffalo. Yes. Yes. So of all the authors in the world that uh, this young man could have reached out to, you know, I'm an independent author, mm -hmm. you know, I, I wasn't a writer, but for some reason he found value in me after reading Hush Money. He contacts me and he says, I hear you're coming to Buffalo. I said, yes. He says, um, can I help you with your event? And I said, well, well, sure. Who are you? And he says, well, my mom was shopping for a bologna and cheese and iced tea um, at Tops and a racist came in and shot her in the head twice. Mm. And so the one year anniversary of that mass shooting is on May 14th. Okay. I have worked with him on his book. He um, asked me to write the foreword. Okay. And so his book is coming out to tell, I mean, what is just an absolutely I mean, just profoundly story. excruciating, yes. painful story, wow. but, but there's beauty in that pain too. Yes. And so uh, his name is Mark Talley. His okay. book is called 514, The Day the Devil Came to Buffalo. Wow. Uh, we will be flying uh, back to Buffalo, or I will, he's already there, okay. for a huge press conference uh, with the media uh, at Tops on May 14th to talk about his book and how we came together to uh, partner. And that is uh, exciting. The book is just absolutely jaw-droppingly incredible. That is exciting, Jackie. We are going to look out for that. And thank you. That is in um, the link is now in the chat for those of you who want to access yeah. it. 
Jackie, thank you so much for this time. I could talk with you forever. <laughs> Look out for that LinkedIn connection request. Please. Thank you to those of you who joined us today for Intentional Conversations vodcast. Thank you so much for spending your time with us. Follow Jackie and we will see you next week. Have an amazing weekend. Take thank care. you. Bye.